was to explore Europe with a backpack. The problem was I had Asian parents, Chinese parents, and they were so fearful. They thought that every person was a bad person, and so they would not allow me to go. And although I argued, I did not go because it was them who would be paying for it. When I had collected enough money and I graduated from college, I said, Mom and Dad, I'm going to Europe for a month, and I am going. They half-heartedly said, okay, and they relented to allowing me to go. And so I spent a few months planning for what I thought would be the trip of a lifetime. I looked at train stations and train schedules and planned the cities I wanted to go to and wanted to really pack in this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. On the eve of my departure, moms, as all moms do, worried for their kids at any age, admonished me with a few things, most of which I simply ignored. She told me, son, be careful. Don't trust everyone. Make sure you watch over your things or else it will be stolen. I took that as a mom who continued to nag, and so I ignored it. I thought to myself, I am an adult. I can take care of myself. And so I left Dallas and landed in London, took a train to Brussels, Belgium. And at that train station, you can guess what happened. My backpack was stolen. It was stolen by an old lady. Uh, how do I know that? Because the man behind me tapped me on the shoulder and said, Sir, old woman, run with your bag away. And I thought to myself, could you not have told me a little bit earlier? In it was my credit cards, my plane ticket, my travel documents, all of my maps, my carefully detailed one-month itinerary. I quickly canceled the credit cards, and I realized I only had three things. I had $1,000 with me, which I had strapped to my body, uh, my passport, and an all-you-can-ride-for-free Eurail train pass. If you do the math, that amounts to $33 U.S. a day for room and lodging, three meals, and transportation. I was put in a quandary because of my pride. Should I call my parents or not? If I called my mom and dad to wire some money to me, I know what they will say. I told you so. And would instruct that I come home immediately. But in my pride, I told them I could take care of myself. And so I had to prove to them that I could. And so it was, I traveled Europe for a month on $33 a day. As to how I survived, that is a different story for a different time. But it entailed a lot of sleeping on trains and train stations, bus stops, and other places you're not supposed to sleep at. But if you asked me about that trip, if I would change anything about it, I would tell you no. In fact, I would have told you I wish the backpack was stolen even earlier. Without maps and without my itinerary or train schedules, how would I travel? You had to leave it to chance. I would go to a train station, ask the information how many platforms there were. A train station could have four platforms, eight platforms, to 36 platforms. 
Then when I find out how many platforms there were, I would ask a random stranger, please pick a number between one and the number of platforms. They would give me a number, and I would go to that platform and jump onto the train that was there. It was only when the train moved that I would then work my way to the conductor's area and ask them, where is this train going? From that experience... I went to places that most tourists would never go. It was one of the most experienced, best experiences of my life. I would not trade it for a world, although I'm not recommending it to you. But without that experience of living in uncertainty, I would not have gotten ever a chance to play football or soccer with some local Italian youth by a random town on the seaside of the Italian Riviera. I would never have had a chance to talk with an ex-Nazi German soldier who happened to be sitting at a park bench where I was, who told me a story about how he abandoned his unit because he fell in love with a girl from Budapest. I met friends who I still keep in touch with today more than 20 years since that trip. It was the best trip of my life, or one of them, because... I traveled with uncertainty. Nothing was planned. And yet, many of us in our life, we like everything so well planned. To the minute, to the hour, to the day. And I'm not saying planning is bad. I'm just simply saying that we want to know our futures so much. We want everything planned out, carved out the way we want it, that we do not allow God to be able to step in and do some amazing things. As we conclude our sermon this morning entitled, No Filter, The Consequences of Authentic Living, when we take out the filters, we realize in the planning of our lives, we have to come to the realization that life cannot be planned. Life is very uncertain. There is no such thing as total security. Things will happen beyond our control. How then do we as followers of Jesus Christ find joy, find exhilaration in the midst of the bubble of uncertainty in which we live? We're going to find out this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 45. We begin in verse 16 where we left off a few weeks ago. And then we're going to go all the way to the end of Genesis chapter 50, verse 26. Here, as we conclude our study in the life of Joseph, there are three events that these main characters will experience. Jacob will experience uncertainty. Joseph will experience uncertainty. Eleven brothers will experience uncertainties in the narrative of what we're going to discuss this morning. And in those moments of uncertainty, God will reveal Himself in a very unique way. And from each of these instances, we will draw out a principle by which we can find joy living in uncertainty. When last we left Joseph, he had revealed himself to his brothers. They had forgiven him. He had forgiven them, excuse me. They were now restored In Genesis chapter 45, verses 16 to 28, word quickly spreads throughout the royal courts that Joseph's brothers were in town. And and so Pharaoh hears about it and gives Joseph's family a very special 
invitation. The invitation for his entire family, Jacob down, his entire clan, to move to Egypt to live out the rest of the famine. They would be given the best land of Egypt in the area called Goshen. And so the brothers left Egypt to bring word to their father, Jacob, who was wondering what in the world was happening. They told Jacob the good news, the the special invitation to come live in Egypt, and the even better news that his long-lost son, their long-lost brother Joseph, is alive, and he can't wait to see his father. And so as we begin chapter 46 of Genesis, Jacob takes his entire family and all that he possesses and moves to Egypt. But in that journey, we find out, we extrapolate from what God will tell him a little bit later, that he is a man who is very worried. Jacob is worried about leaving Canaan, the promised land of his forefathers, Abraham and Isaac. He was worried that if his family moves to Egypt, maybe they'll like it too much with all the pyramids and the Sphinx, the beautiful architecture and the beautiful people that they won't even want to return back to the farmlands of Canaan. He was worried that maybe they would not be allowed to leave Egypt once they got there. He was worried that in his old age and with the arduous journey ahead, he may not be able to live out to see his beloved son who he just found out was still alive and he had not seen a son for more than 20 years thinking all this time that he was dead. He was per... One worried, perhaps, if he was acting impulsively. Perhaps this was not the will of God. What a great invitation. Maybe they weren't supposed to travel to Egypt. I, I don't know. And it's with that heart that God reveals himself. Chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel, also known as Jacob, took his journey with all that he had. And came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will surely bring you up again and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry them. In the midst of uncertainty and worries, the assuring words of the Lord spoke to Jacob. And if you're taking notes, that's number one. How do we find joy in the midst of uncertainty? We do so through the assuring words of the Lord. Notice what God says to Jacob. He calls him by name, Jacob, Jacob. This was the name of his birth. God knew him personally out of the millions who live in that land at that time. God knew Jacob, called him by name. He knew what this old man was worried about. 
Then God talks to him about his character and, and tells and reminds Jacob again of who he is. I am Yahweh. I am the God of your father, Isaac, and your grandfather, Abraham. I am God. And there is no need to fear, he tells Jacob. I'm going to go with you. I'm not only the God of Canaan, I'm also the God of Egypt. I'm the God of the entire world. And I will accompany you to Egypt. I will make you a great nation there. And I will come back with you. You see, when God makes a promise, that promise is not locally contextualized. When God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to make him a great nation, it didn't mean only if you live in Canaan. God says, when you go to Egypt, I'm also the God over Egypt, and my promises still hold true even in Egypt, and I will make you a great nation as you move there. If you're ever worried, my friends, remember, God is not only here in the Philippines. God is everywhere you go. I know a lot of you will be traveling, flying in airplanes, and what a time to fly. The news of the German air crash in France gets us a little bit worried. What if that was our pilot? You don't need to live in fear. God says, I go with you. I travel with you. I will bring you there, and I will bring you back. And notice what he says to Jacob. You will see your son. He will touch your face. Now think about what Jacob is going through. He's an old man. It's a long journey. He finds out his son is alive. He can't wait to see him, but in the back of his mind, he's wondering, will I make it? What if I die before I get to Egypt? Right? I, I know you know of cases where Children rush to fly back to be able to see their parents before they pass on. And they run to the airport, get me the next flight. That feeling was probably what Jacob was feeling. Hurry up, horse cart. I need to see my son. And God says, relax, relax. He will touch your face. You will see him with your eyes. And with those reassuring words, Jacob goes down to Egypt. Beersheba is important. Remember earlier in the life of Jacob when he was running from his brother Esau who was trying to kill him. In Genesis chapter 27 and 28, if you remember the story, he was on his way to Haran. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10, when he left Beersheba on his way to Haran, perhaps just a bit outside Beersheba, God appeared to Jacob. Remember that story? In a dream, and he dreamt, and he saw a ladder going to heaven. The angels were going up and down. And God spoke to Jacob in his youth, in chapter 28, verse 15 of Genesis, God tells Jacob almost what he tells him now exactly. 
I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. God reminds Jacob that he made the same promise to him when he was young. Now when he's old in his life, the promise holds true. Jacob, I've never left you. I know you are unsure about what life is like in Egypt. Who moves when they're more than 100 years old? God says, I've got everything under control. You say, well, good, pastor. That's good for Jacob. But God hasn't spoken to me lately. I'm living in a bubble of uncertainty. I don't know what's happening. When's God going to speak to me? He does. He does throw through the scriptures. And he tells us the very same things he tells Jacob. He says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, I know you by name. He tells us in John chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, the good shepherd knows all of his sheep. He tells us in Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He tells us in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, fear not. And I like what he tells us in Lamentations 3, 37. Who can command things to happen? without the Lord's permission. Isn't that a great verse? Who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? What that says is nothing happens that God does not allow. Nothing in this world moves unless they seek the permission of God first. These assuring words, I hope, will serve as an encouragement in your life when you're going through a crossroad of uncertainty. In these assuring words from our Lord, May you find assurance. In verses 28 to 30, Jacob arrives in Egypt, and there he has a wonderful, tender reunion with Joseph. See, God fulfills his words. Be assured that what he says will come to fruition in times of uncertainty. Well, the family of Jacob settles in Goshen, the best land in Egypt, and his family prospers. Jacob is now 147 years old, and he's close to dying. He calls Joseph in, final words, final instruction. He tells Joseph, swear to me that I will not be buried here in Egypt, but be buried in the promised land of Canaan. Well, Joseph knows that his father's time on earth is not long. And so in chapter 48 of Genesis, verses 1 to 11, he brings his two sons. He wants his oldest son, Manasseh, and the younger brother, Ephraim, to see their grandfather for the last time. Very appropriate. There, as Joseph brings his two sons, Jacob reveals something. He essentially tells Joseph, I have promoted you to be like the firstborn. Remember, Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob. And Jacob tells Joseph, I would wish to bless you with the blessings of the firstborn. And in that cultural context, the firstborn gets double blessings. And Jacob tells Joseph, I will make your two sons... Ephraim and Manasseh to be like my son. And when I separate the inheritance, when I divide up the inheritance, Ephraim will get a share, Manasseh will get a share. So essentially, Joseph, 
you get two shares. Joseph has leaped over Reuben to receive the blessings of the firstborn. Well, Jacob is old and his vision is hazy and he tells Joseph, bring your sons closer. I want to bless them. Something happens in verse 12. Look with me. Chapter 48, verse 12. So Joseph brought them from beside his knee and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Then Israel, or Jacob, stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding, note this, his hands knowingly. For Manasseh was the firstborn. So Joseph brings his two grandchildren, Joseph brings his two sons, the grandchildren of Jacob, and positions the older Manasseh on the right hand of Jacob. And he positions Ephraim on Jacob's left hand as Jacob's, Jacob is about to give the blessing. Apparently the right hand blessing has more emphasis than the left hand blessing. But as he's about to give the blessing, Jacob does something. He crosses his hands. And he puts his right hand on the younger Ephraim. And he puts his left hand on the older Manasseh. And look what happens in verse 17. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, note this, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Verse 18, and Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. Verse 19, but his father Jacob refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great in reference to Manasseh. But truly, his younger brother Ephraim shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So Jacob blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim the younger over Manasseh the older. Joseph wanted it one way. He had already planned it out. The older son, Manasseh, would get more blessings than the younger Ephraim. That is the way it works. The older gets more than the younger. The older gets more blessing than the younger. That is how it's worked through the centuries and in our Asian culture even worked until today. We look upon the older one with more pride perhaps. So Joseph was displeased. He was not happy. But how ironic. He had no problems when he leapfrogged over Reuben to get the double blessings. Did you note that? He had no problems with that. But when it came to his sons, there was a natural order. I want to ask you, my friends, how many of you get angry? How many of you are displeased when your best laid plans do not fulfill itself as you have planned. 
How many of you get upset when everything you plan for doesn't turn out the way it's supposed to happen? That's how we are. We have put God into a box and say, God, this is how you must work. This is how things are done in this world. This is the natural order of things. I come into a wealthy family. This is the family in which I live. That means I will be successful. I go to a good college. I'm smart. It is my right to be successful in life. How can that person who has no education, who doesn't know the right people, how are they able to succeed in life? There is a way in which the world operates, and that is the rules by which I follow. And God says, whoa, time out. Who has set those rules? Did you know that the firstborn getting double is not commanded in the Bible? It's part of the cultural mandate of that culture, and sometimes even in the ancient Chinese culture. The value of a male child over a female child is not in the Scriptures. It was a cultural mandate of that time. God says, excuse me, I do not work under the rules that the earth has created. I am free to do what I want. You see, my friends, God has a unique design for each and every one of us. God works as He so chooses, and He doesn't have to work within our prescribed rules. God often works in very unconventional ways. And that's number two if you're taking notes. How can you find joy living in a bubble of uncertainty? You find joy realizing that God has a unique design for your life. In verse 19, Jacob says to Joseph, Son, I know what I'm doing. The implication is God has told me it is this way. God has willed it. It's not because I'm old or I'm senile or I can't see. This is part of God's unique design plan. You see, man's ways are not God's ways. Did you get that? Man's ways are not God's way. Four generation of this family has seen them break conventional rules. When God saw fit that he would raise up the younger Isaac over Ishmael, when he would choose the younger Jacob over Esau, when he would choose the younger Joseph over Reuben, when he would choose the younger Ephraim over Manasseh. When God works to uniquely design our lives, He creates originals. He does not copy other people. And so how you live your life is not how your kids will live that life. How I live my life will not necessarily be how my kids live that life, their life. And that's both good and bad. But the wonderful aspect of this is that you are not stuck into a way of living. There's a lot of people who fear the uncertainties of life. They feel like I'm stuck because this is the family into which I've been born. You are not stuck. God has a unique design for your life. 
He does not follow the rules that the world sets. He can choose to bless as he so sees fit. I'll be honest, sometimes I worry about my own children. Even pastors worry. I worry about their future. I don't own a company. I don't have a business to give them. I don't have a storefront to, to help for them to manage. And I worry about that sometimes. But then God reminds me. He says, look at your own life, Steve. Look how God took you to be from an electrical engineer to go into business as a management consultant and now to pastor a church halfway across the place you grew up. That's part of my unique design for your life, Stephen. And I've got an amazing plan for your three kids' life as well. You don't have to worry. They won't be like you, and that's a good thing. Because I've given them their own shoes to wear, not for them to fill your shoes. That's amazing to think about. Because some of the best things in life are totally unplanned. Some of those amazing things in life are unscripted. You as parents who so want to have your kids' life all planned out will never live in the joy of uncertainty because you cannot allow God to work in their life. And so you manage their life just so it must be so. And then you wonder why their lives don't turn out the way you want it to, to be. Or you yourself are, are, are so stuck in the rut and you find your life so boring because you cannot trust God to allow Him to work His amazing, unique design plan only for your life because you're not willing to take that step of faith and trust Him. It's the surprises in our lives that we deeply remember. It is the surprises of our lives that mark who we are. Stop trying to spoil the surprises of God's working in your life by trying to find out everything. You know, that's how we are. You know, it's, it's funny. We all like surprise birthday parties. We all like surprise parties. But then we always ask, what are they planning? What's happening in my surprise party? Oh, wait. It's a surprise party. And we like surprises, and then we wonder, oh, we weren't that surprised. Of course not. You spent all of your energy trying to find out what the surprise is of your surprise party. Can we not simply just let it go and say, okay, surprise me? But that's not how we are wired. We want to know. And then we wonder how come our life is so mundane. God has a unique design for your life, for your children's life, for your grandchildren's life. He gives us the parameters by which we are to live that life. And he says, enjoy. Enjoy the unique design I have for your life. In chapter 49, Jacob dies. He is buried in the land of Canaan. 
as Joseph promised to do. And we pick up the story in the last chapter of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 14. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servant of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. The brothers came to a crossroad in the bubble of uncertainty. What will happen now that father has died? They're probably all grandfathers at this point. And they're worried that Joseph will now exact his revenge when daddy is no longer around. So said, Joseph, forgive us. Forgive us, please. We're so sorry. Joseph is so moved. He doesn't get why they don't understand. He's already forgiven them. The Bible tells us he, he, he wept. Verse 19, And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, note this, verse 20, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph, the youngest or one of the youngest brothers, is able to assure his older brothers, don't you worry. He assures them two times, do not be afraid. If you want a glimpse into the theology of Joseph, how he sees his life, if you want to see his life's philosophy, look at verse 20. What you have intended for evil, God has intended for good. That is how Joseph sees the sovereign work of God played out in his life. He saw the terrible circumstances of how he was sold into slavery, a servant of the house of Potiphar, wrongly accused to be placed into the royal prison, to have the chief butler forget him, to not knowing whether he will ever see his brothers again, or his father, and he saw all of those tragedies, those uncertainties, and he said, this is the work of God so that I can save my family. You can live with joy in the uncertainties of life when you number three Look through the lenses of God's sovereignty. Looking through the lenses of God's sovereignty. This is one of the hardest things to do. When you get sick with cancer, when you lose a loved one, when you don't get into the school of your dreams, when you lose a business deal, can you say, as Joseph says, this is the will of God, it is good for me. Wow. That is looking through the lenses of God's sovereignty. Can you trust Him so 
that you can say, I don't know what's going to happen in my life, but I'm just going to sit back and relax and enjoy what God has in store. It is in living in vulnerability and uncertainty that we learn the great lesson of trust. When we make ourselves vulnerable, when we put ourselves there into the bubble of uncertainty, then we learn trust and faith. That's why so few Christians understand trust and faith. Because they really don't trust God in the times of their uncertainty. They want everything so mapped out into their life. They want things done their way, not God's sovereign divine way. And then they wonder, how come I can't trust? I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's because you have not made yourself vulnerable, yielded your life, and say to Him, Lord, it's yours. My life is yours. Direct it as you see fit, because I want to learn the lesson of trust. Francis Chan, a pastor in Southern California, says the church wastes too much time waiting for a word from God. Christians should instead be more active in translating the knowledge they have into action rather than languishing in fear and indecision. What he's saying is this. Pastor Francis is saying, we as churchgoers, because we live in uncertainties, we're just not sure we never take the step of action. What if I share the gospel? Maybe he won't like me anymore. What if I stand firm for my conviction? I may lose my job. And so we're so languishing in fear and indecision and uncertainties, not willing to trust God, that we are simply seat warmers on Sundays. We don't do anything. Chan explains that continually listening to God's Word without applying it has made Christians dull to God's call. And he recounts a story the first time he went to seminary, and even before class started, the president of the seminary said to that class, Be careful, because once you can hear the Word of God and do nothing in response, then the next time you hear it, it gets easier to not do anything. And the next time, and pretty soon, it becomes a habit and a pattern of you're able to hear God's Word without any practical response. How many of us sit here on a Sunday morning, listen to countless sermons, say, wow, that was a good sermon. I was touched by it and never have life changed. We have grown accustomed and used to simply sitting, hearing God's word and never applying it because we're so uncertain about how that would affect our life. But the Word of God has been given to us to radically transform our lives, to change us every time we hear the Word of God spoken deep into our heart with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, you parents, you know how it is. It frustrates you when you nag to your children and you say, for example, pick up that shirt and your kids are playing video games. Yes, 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 I'll pick it up. Or in Hokkien, ho, 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 ho. Or maybe your husband says that, ho, 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 ho. And then three hours later, it's still there. 
Didn't you say yes? Hold on, hold on. Okay, 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 okay. Nothing happens. Right? Nothing happens. How do you feel? Frustrated. Angry. In the same way in the Christian life, how many of us have heard the clear, distinct call of God in our lives? It was a yes, God, I will apply it. And one week passes by, a month passes by, a year passes by, a lifetime passes by, and nothing's ever changed. Thank goodness, praise God for His patience with us. But let us not wait out God's patience. We can live in the bubble of uncertainty with joy because God's sovereign plan is at work in our life regardless of what we do. I conclude with verse 22 and 23. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knee. It's a fitting conclusion for the life of an amazing young man, but not so young anymore at 110. He began his life as a favored son, the favorite of his father. He became a slave more than 13 years. Then he became prime minister overnight. And lived 110 years to see his great, great grandchildren. The author wants us to walk away realizing that Joseph lived a fulfilled life. No regrets. No regrets. He saw his great, great grandchildren. It is always fulfilling and quite fun when one lives in uncertainty in the hands of God. That's how it is. It's always fulfilling. You don't need to know. Even though you don't know what God has planned for your life, He knows. And that's what matters. Finally, I don't know if you know the ride Space Mountain. Any, any, all of you know Space Mountain, Disney ride? Um, it's considered one of Disney's best rides in their amusement park. It's a, it takes you through space. It's, a, it's really a roller coaster. And I've ridden it many times. I'm sure you have as well. I remember as a child in Orlando, uh, absolutely terrified riding in Space Mountain. Launched into pitch darkness not knowing whether you're going up or down or left or right. Many years later as an adult, I had the opportunity to ride it again in Hong Kong Disney, and I was just as scared. I don't know what it is with amusement park rides. You're scared, but you want to keep riding it again. And so I did, and I remember the last time I rode it, there was a malfunction. The malfunction was that one of the circuits had blown, and so all the lights automatically turned on. And so the announcer came uh, and said, if you'd like to continue to ride, you can, uh, but the lights would be turned on as we deal with this issue. 
And so I'd been waiting long in line, and uh, my wife and kids were waiting outside, and so I said, okay, fine, I'll ride it. And I rode the ride, thinking, wow, what a different experience. I'll actually get to see the roller coaster inside Space Mountain. When I finished the ride, I was quite disappointed. Uh, it wasn't at all scary. Uh, in fact, if you look about it and think about it, it's almost like a kiddie roller coaster. It doesn't go backwards. It doesn't go upside down. It's rather slow, actually. It doesn't drop very from great heights. And it was quite boring. What was the difference? The difference is that before I could not see what was happening. I could not anticipate the up and the down and the left and the right. But when the lights are all turned on and you can see what's happening, it's not a lot of fun. In life, that's how we want it. We want the lights all turned on. We want to know what's happening every day of our life until the day we die. And we even want to know how we're going to die and when that's going to happen. And no wonder life is so mundane. But with God's assuring words, with His unique design for our life, each one specially crafted for us, living in the hands of His sovereign plan, you know what you can do? You can tell God, turn off the lights. You can get into the ride called life and experience the journey of a lifetime. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It encourages me even now to enjoy the excitement of living in the bubble of uncertainty because you hold us in your hands. Not always wanting to plan everything out and having A plus B equals C, but giving you the space to work and to do amazing things with the men and women here this morning. I pray you would teach all of us, including myself, the lesson of trust and of faith and finding the sweetness of trusting in you fully in a God whose words always come to pass, in one whose sovereign plan will be fulfilled and in one whose unique design for us is unique to us. May the story crafted for each man and woman here this morning be a story like Joseph, of a man or woman who did not know much and yet lived and experienced the best time of their life. Bless your people this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.